Good morning. Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is Isaiah 7 day, or day 678 of our three-year journey through the Word of God. Isaiah 7 is the chapter that's in front of us. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help, shall we? Father in heaven, we are your people, and this is your Word. We need your Word. We need your Word to be spoken to our hearts and not just to our ears. We need the work of your Holy Spirit to come and draw us closer to Jesus and help us to see your will for us, your people, through your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 7. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, son of Ju king of Judah, Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of the high, on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet. Do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of reason and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, and within sixty-five years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the good, evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, and they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the cliffs of the rock and on, the th on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair and the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they will give, he will eat curds. 
for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. That is Isaiah 7. So Isaiah 7 finds us uh, in the ministry of Isaiah. So the last thing we had when we were in Isaiah a couple days ago was this powerful vision that Isaiah had in the year that King Uzziah died. Well, now Uzziah's son Jotham has died, and Jotham's son Ahaz has taken the throne, and Ahaz is not a faithful king. Uzziah, a generally faithful king, although he was arrogant and offered up incense that he wasn't allowed to and got struck with leprosy, Jotham, generally a positive king, Ahaz, not a positive king at all, and then the son of Ahaz is going to be Hezekiah, who is a good king, and Isaiah will get to minister to him as well. But here we're with this king who is, who's faithless. He's shrewd, he's calculating, he's political, he's earthly, and he's in trouble. He's in trouble because two kingdoms to the north, each one of which is more powerful than he is, they have allied together to come up against or come down against Judah. So Israel, Pekah the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, and Syria, Reason, the king of Syria, these two kings have gone in league together. If either one of them were to invade Judah, Judah would be in trouble. But they've come now, and they're coming together. And so Ahaz is terrified. He thinks it's all over. Isaiah is sent by the Lord to go and take his son, Shear Jashub. Shear Jashub's name means a remnant shall return which there's a reference to a remnant later in Isaiah 7, the last part of the chapter that I just read. So he's going to meet Ahaz with, with a son who doesn't exactly have the most encouraging name. If you are an intact kingdom and there's two greater kingdoms coming at you, here's my son, a remnant shall return. Uh-oh, that means we're toast, right? You get it? Read between the lines. That means we're toast. We're going to be taken off. So Ahaz is not really encouraged by the presence of Isaiah's son with the symbolic significance of his name. And, but Isaiah says to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of reason and Syria and the son of Remaliah. And so God is telling Ahaz very clearly, don't be afraid, trust in the Lord. Don't be driven by the fear of man. Now, behind the scenes, while this conversation is happening, the Lord knows what Ahaz is already planning and has already put into action. And that is Ahaz is going to take a great wealth from the temple and from his own palace, a great, a great treasure trove, and he's going to send it off to the king of Assyria. Assyria is even further to the northeast of Syria, and Assyria is more powerful than Israel and Syria combined. So he's like, well, how do you get a bully off your back? You hire a bigger bully. 
And so that's what he's doing behind the scenes. But Isaiah is coming to him in the name of the Lord and confronting him and telling him, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. Trust the Lord that it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. And then he gives him this interesting message that within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people, which doesn't seem to have immediate relevance to this threat because they're not threatening to come against Judah 65 years from now. They're threatening to come against Judah right now. But the end of the, the, this little message to him in verses 7 to 9 is, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So he says, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Well, guess what? Ahaz is not firm in faith. He's not going to stand firm in faith. And so the Lord decides to give them a sign. And that is there's a particular child to be born. I do think there's a double fulfillment of this child. There is an immediate partial fulfillment of this child, but then the child's symbolic name echoes a greater fulfillment that is yet to come in the future. That's my understanding of this highly controversial prophecy here in Isaiah 7:14, that there's partial fulfillment that happens immediately and then there is ultimate fulfillment that comes about in, in the days of Jesus <clears throat> coming. So behold, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He asked Ahaz, ask the Lord for a sign. Let it be anything as you want. Deep as Sheol, high as heaven. And Ahaz, sounding self-righteous and pious, but really just lacking faith, says, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Well, you're not supposed to put the Lord to the test, but if God tells you, through his prophet, if God tells you to ask him for a sign, then you should obey. You should obey the word of the Lord. Obeying the word of the Lord is not putting the Lord to the test. It is obeying the word of the Lord. He refused to do so. And so the Lord says, I'm going to give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. So there is a, a child who's going to be born. And he says, before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So I think that's important because that, that verse 16 is what leads me to think there was an immediate partial fulfillment. All of Isaiah's kids have these symbolic names. Could this be Ahaz's child? Some people say this could be Ahaz's child, the future king Hezekiah. Maybe we're not really told who the virgin is. But we do know that the Lord has this pattern of giving children to Isaiah who have symbolic names and whose names are, are themselves prophecies. And ultimately, Emmanuel is going to come in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is going to be God with us. And he will be born of a virgin in a miraculous way, in a way that will bring God, not just on our side in the battle, but God with us in our midst, Jesus Christ himself, who is the Emmanuel, which is why the immediate fulfillment I call only a partial fulfillment, because it's not the real ultimate meaning of this. The ultimate meaning of this is that a virgin, Mary, someone who's never known a man, is going to miraculously conceive and bear a son, and he shall be Emmanuel. He shall be God with us. That is the ultimate meaning of Isaiah 7:14. although it has an immediate partial fulfillment. Now, I, I see this pattern throughout the Old Testament prophets, where there's a word spoken about an immediate enemy like Babylon, but really in talking about the king of Babylon, there's echoes of Satan 
being talked about and his downfall. So the downfall is it about the downfall of the king of Babylon or is it about the downfall of Satan? Yes, it's partially and immediately about the downfall of the king of Babylon, but ultimately it's about Satan falling like lightning from heaven at the coming of Jesus. And so we see these kinds of things, I think, throughout the Old Testament prophets where there's this double double horizon, the, the immediate uh, context and the immediate partial fulfillment, but then looking beyond it, you're supposed to see that it is really coming to fruition in Christ. What do we get from this chapter? We're not going to go into all the details of the last one. It's basically saying Assyria is going to come and do horrible things that have never been done before, and there will be a small remnant left in the land. We're going to revisit that theme many times later in this book. So I just want to ask us, what do we do with this chapter today? Well, here it is. What do we do when it looks like we're facing overwhelming odds? Right? What does it look like to follow Jesus when the cause seems hopeless? It doesn't seem like things are going to go back or turn in a direction that's going to lead to great abundance or great prosperity. It just seems like we're outnumbered. Like, okay, for example, we're in America here, right? We're in America in the year 2023. And just yesterday, from when I'm recording this, it'll be a day before yesterday, but the time you get this. But just yesterday, Kansas <clears throat> struck down, or Ohio, sorry, Ohio struck down a, um, or, or passed, Boy, get your story straight, Jason. Wake up. Yesterday, Ohioans passed a ballot initiative that enshrines abortion rights as being protected in the state of Ohio. Now, Ohio seems to be a conservative state with a lot of Christians in it. By polling, it seems to be a very pro-life state. But here there was an opportunity to take a stand for life or to allow abortion rights to be enshrined as protected and abortion rights got enshrined. And I think this is the sixth state since Roe v. Wade where there's been some kind of ballot initiative or some kind of election, and all of them have gone in favor of abortion. So a year and a half ago when Roe v. Wade was overturned, there was some rejoicing that maybe we could start pushing back against the death of the innocents in America. But now wherever it's been put to the people to vote, even in supposedly conservative states with lots of Christian influence, even in those states, abortion has won every ballot challenge, which the Bible would say something about putting our hope in man. The Bible would say something about, you know, those who trust in horses and chariots and ballot initiatives. Um, so I think we need to be careful not to put our hope in any sort of political solution, but boy, it sure does seem like we were finally making progress, finally having an opportunity for a breakthrough on the death of unborn children in America, and it's just not going in that direction. It seems hopeless. There's 101 other things. You know, you could talk about LGBTQAI+. You could talk about Pride Month becoming this huge national celebration. You could talk about suicide rates that are spiraling out of control. You could talk about drug overdose rates that are spiraling out of control. You could talk about church attendance that has dropped off. Uh, and hasn't really recovered from COVID. You could talk about more and more people who are just de-churching or deconstructing their faith. And it sure seems like there's just a tidal wave against the church and against Christ and against his people. What's the takeaway for us? 
Well, I'm going to go back to this short message to King Ahaz in verses 7 to 9. It may look like the kingdom of God is going to fall, the church is going to be overwhelmed by the culture and will be drowned in a sea of secularism and hedonism. But it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. Christ has said, I will build my church and he will build his church. And if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. That means we don't go looking for a new alliance to make. We don't go sending tribute to Assyria to try to get them to come down and fight for us. We don't go looking for new alliances. We get on our knees. We look to the Lord and we say, Lord Jesus, we believe you will build your church. And we know that if we are not firm in faith, we will not be firm at all. That's where we need to stand. On our knees, before God, in faith. That his purposes, his promises. Now, bad things may come. The end of this chapter prophesies bad, bad things that come. But ultimately, God's kingdom prevails. Jesus is Lord. And there is no ballot initiative that threatens his kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for the hope we have in him. Thank you for the life that is ours, unshakable, eternal, secure life in Jesus, our Savior. Keep us in Jesus, we pray. Keep us believing you, we pray. Make your church your church, not a faction in the world's conflicts, but looking to you. Because if we will not be firm in faith, we will not be firm at all. We pray this in Jesus' name. That is Isaiah 7. Tomorrow on tap for us is Isaiah chapter 8. Hope you can join me for that. And I do hope you have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.